Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, last Sunday morning, we, we looked at Jesus' first recorded words, and it was a question. He said, why were you searching for me? It was when he was in the temple. And mom and dad left. Three days later, they come back and they find him in the temple with the, uh, the religious leaders. And he says, why were you searching for me? I believe Jesus never asks an innocent question. If you go through the scriptures and get one of those red letter versions and look at anything where he's got a question mark at the end of a statement, it's always something that's a toe stubber. It stops everything right there. And so we're going to do a sermon series starting last week on Jesus never asking any innocent questions. And this morning we're looking at the Gospel of John at the second chapter, the story of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, we have no more, more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus said. My time has not yet come. And actually, the, this is what I don't like about this translation. What he actually says is, what is that to you and me? In other words, why is this our concern? But his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the, when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip out some and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So this doesn't seem to be that big a deal. This is his first miracle. I mean, one would think that for a first miracle, it would be something far more spectacular. Something on the level of a David Copperfield. 
something that really made a splash, maybe go through and decide to heal everyone in a village, just wave his arms and, and declare everyone's well, or to end world hunger, end all suffering, Jesus the Messiah, to do something big. Instead, he does something not only small, but it's so small, only a very few people saw it or perceived it in the, at that wedding, in the instance of this wedding. And furthermore, it was to address a social faux pas. Now, yes, running out of wine at a wedding was a big deal. But in the great grand scheme of things, it was, it was a very small thing. And yet Jesus takes that as the occasion to perform his first miracle. And so, you know the story. The wedding is going on. Jesus and his family go. Presumably, John the Baptist, which was part of his family, comes in off of the desert. He and all his friends with their camel hair outfits, and they go to this, this wedding, and everyone's dancing and having a great time. The way it worked was the betrothal period lasted for about a year, and then the bridegroom and all of his friends would go to the bride's house, and they would escort the bride and the bridesmaids over to his house, and there'd be a party for about seven days. Seven days. And as I've shared before, part of the humor and the charm of this is that here's husband and wife, and they want to be together, and nobody ever leaves. <laughs> Seven-day party, food and wine and dancing and all of this fun stuff. And so presumably, this, this crowd from the desert is dancing, or, uh, is dancing with these beautiful young Jewish girls from Galilee, and it's a, it's a wild, crazy scene. And the wine runs out. And, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, well, we, we have to wonder, as Jesus grew up, he's probably 30 years old now, as he grew up, how many times did his mother ask him to do things? She's a mom. He's the eldest son. Honey, will you get the trash out? They're coming tomorrow morning. Honey, we need some water. Will you run over to the well and get some water? And, and here, one more time, she turns to Jesus because, she's, because he's her son, she's mom, and she shares this concern probably in the same note or the same tone as she's always shared concerns. And he responds with not this eye-rolling sort of response that kids tend to respond with, oh, mom, but something far more profound. Why is this our concern? What is it really that you are asking me to do? The Greek in this case is very ambivalent. What to you to me is literally what it means. What is this that you're really asking me to do? My time has not yet come. What to me to you? 
You know, when Jesus grew up and was doing what he was doing as a son in the household, presumably, yes, he had chores to do. He had things, all kinds of things that he had to do. And they were jobs, chores. And in and of themselves, they were simple, easy things to accomplish. We have something to do, we go do it, get it done, and we go on with our lives. It's true for all of us. But now Jesus is taking a different tack with this whole question of once again running a chore, doing a chore for his mom. Now he's asking, asking a question that is causing everyone to pause. You may have heard of Frank Abagnale. They did a movie about him in 2001 called Catch Me If You Can. Abagnale was an imposter, a con man, and he faked being a physician, he faked being a lawyer, he faked being an airplane pilot, he faked something like nine occupations. In other words, he was able to do jobs, but he was not fully what a profession, a professional was equipped to do. So as we think about it, a, a physician, story of, we hear it all the time about how someone's going to the hospital and uh, with a pregnant woman in the back seat and she's not going to make it and they stop the car in a Walmart parking lot and there, there's a baby that's been delivered. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the job has been done, but the person doing it might have been the husband or someone else in the car. The job is accomplished, but that doesn't make one a physician. One can do jobs and it doesn't establish one as a member of that particular calling. Because underneath all the jobs of a physician is the real calling of a physician, and that is to be a healer. Health. One can do all kinds of things. We can go online and do stuff like a lawyer, but the real function of an attorney is not just filling out forms. It's justice. And, and yes, he can fake being an airplane pilot, and so many of these planes fly themselves, but the reality of, an, of a, the calling of somebody who is a, a pilot is safety. And so Jesus is now, in being asked to perform a chore, is now in a place where he is taking this as an occasion to make a statement about his core identity and his core calling. That he, it's more than just turning water into wine. It's now the identity of Jesus being revealed and bringing God to us. God with us and revealing the reality of who God is 
to us. It's that invisible reality. A physician, the invisible reality is healing. An attorney, the, the invisible reality is justice. A pilot, the invisible reality is safety. And with Jesus, the invisible reality is that he's God. He's God with us. And so he, he pauses and he says, this is not my time. And so he acts in silence and in secret. He simply asks that the servants go take 20 of those, those big purifying water jars and, and fill them with water. And he somehow transforms them into wine. And the amount of wine that Jesus creates in that moment is about 800 bottles of what we see as a bottle of wine. About 800 bottles of wine. So not only is it the best wine ever made, ever vented, but it's in quantity that would probably last until now. <laughs> and so Jesus, with this sign, with this miracle, with this action, is, is demonstrating something far more than just fulfilling a task. He does far more than just complete a chore. It's a similar situation when the disciples come to him and said, everyone's on the hillside and they're hungry. They don't have any food. And Jesus says, feed them. And he said, well, we don't have any money to go into town and buy enough food for all these people. And so Jesus takes a small portion and breaks it and feeds the multitude. It's evidence that his job is not feeding people. His job is to demonstrate to people that he is God with them. And that's the work that Jesus does here in this wedding. He does this transforming work as a way of demonstrating to us who he is, who he is to us. The Gospel of John, they're called signs. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. And a sign points beyond itself. The sign is not the issue itself. The sign points beyond itself to the identity of who Jesus is. So when he asks that question, that's not such an innocent question. What to you, to me? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with us? What responsibility do we have here? He is indicating that what is to follow is a profound statement about his core identity and his calling. It's the, the foundational reality of who Jesus is. And so when we look at Jesus and he's doing these things. He's feeding 5,000. He's turning water into wine. He's walking on water. All of these are not the issue itself. We can get lost by arguing, how can this be? Well, Jesus is really walking on a sandbar and he just appears to be walking on water. We miss the whole point. The point of it all 
Even if there's some elaboration from the early church, the point remains the same, and that is he is God with us. And his calling, his calling is to embody that reality to us so that we know, we know that he's with us. You know, I, I struggle so much every week when I preach. I was thinking about it this morning. After all that wind blew through and blew a bunch of papers around, <laughs> then I'm shaving. And I'm thinking, you know, I've been this, I've been doing this for almost 40 years now. Why do I sweat blood every single week? Why is it that I, I constantly roll this around in my head and after the hours of preparation and then, and then I start driving to church and I think, I'm going to die. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to just completely blow it. And I'm thinking, I've been doing this for so long, can't I just do this without sweating it? And I thought about that in relationship to this whole account. And that is, my job is one thing. So I got here this morning, I put some signs out, we needed some music copied and that kind of thing, and I did those things, I did those chores. But what is my calling? My calling as a pastor is, is not simply to meet a bunch of expectations. Not simply to, you know, open up and lock up, get things done, run an institution, I mean, those are ordinary expectations of any pastor. We have jobs to do. We have chores that we have to complete. But as I thought about it in relationship to this story, I thought, you know, my real job, my real calling is somehow, somehow to bring God to bear in people's lives. I remember thinking back to my seminary professors who said, you in ministry have an impossible job. Because when you stand forth before the congregation, you will speak words that are to be the words of God. That we embody with one another something so much above and so far beyond and so much deeper than just the chores that we do as a congregation. The things that we do. All of it, all of it is ultimately about making real this reality that God is with us. And he can take the water of our fears and turn it into the wine of hope. He can take the water of our illness and turn it into the wine of healing. But not by some sort of an instrumental process whereby we have seven steps to abundant living. And we just go through the steps and we got it licked. But that somehow we, we trust the reality that God is with us God is among us. 
Christ is risen and he lives among us and he's doing his transforming work in our hearts and lives. And every now and then we feel that transformation within us. Every now and then we feel that new wine. Because otherwise, what does a minister do? We talk. Or we'll take water. And what's water? We baptize. Or we'll take a little tiny sip of grape juice and a little tiny piece of bread. That's what we do. Word and sacrament. That's not our job in ministry. That's our calling. Jesus was not doing his job. He was moving toward fulfilling his calling when he turned that water into wine. And with his question to his mother, he was calling upon her to look beyond the mere reality of life's many unending expectations that are put upon all of us. To look beyond that and to look to the deep realities of what it means to be children of God, called by God with a purpose to live this life for him. Will you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord, so often it seems like just mundane, just water. But you transform. You touch, you move. You empower. And you give us hope. Thank you, O oh Lord. And when we come into your presence, may it always be more than just what we see. May it be the deep, invisible realities of your presence and your power and your love and your mercy among us. We ask this in the name of him who transforms all things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.